If you don't know who I am or you're joining us for the first time, my name is Pastor Tony, but everybody uh, knows me and calls me PT. And so we want to welcome you here this morning, and we want to begin by greeting each other in the way that we always greet one another. That's to turn to the person next to you, give them either a high five or point to them and say, we're all in this together. Now, the reason that I have us say this, as I always say, is to remind each other that no person is an island, that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that our love for him is what binds us together, that we are one family united together as a one. And so as maybe many of you know that today is a, a unique or special a day uh, that what we do uh, once about a quarter or so is that we have a New Wave Live. And so for those of you who don't know what New Wave Live is, it's an opportunity in which we bring those who are Christian professionals in different fields where we get to be, really speak into areas in our life that typically maybe we don't do so much on a Sunday and that we had this opportunity. And I believe that today especially is very special, especially in light of everything that's been going on uh, in the world this past month. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of tragic uh, events that have occurred uh, in recently, the tragedy in SoCal, uh, in a Taiwanese church, as well as in Buffalo, New York, and in Texas. And I know that for some of us, too, even this past month, that we've lost loved ones that are also struggling, whether with their own physical uh, health or even in their mental wellness, and that many of us are struggling uh, in many different ways. And so that uh, when I was praying about just really briefly what to share before we enter into New Wave Live, is as I was really praying, God really gave me this passage from uh, Psalm 42 and 43. And so what you see repeated over and over again is this phrase that is being asked by the psalmist. is saying, why are you depressed Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? And this question is being repeated over and over again because of just the state and the nation of the world and what is actually happening. And so what is happening here is that the psalmist is lamenting and being able to properly mourn over what is happening in the world. And so this question arises, why are you depressed, oh, my soul? Why are you so upset? And then what we see continues on, it says, wait for God. But then if you look at the NET and the NLT, the translations, it's a little bit different than I wanted to show. It says, I will put my hope in God. And then for I will again give thanks to give praise to worship my God for his saving intervention. And so uh, this passage, there's somebody very well-known who was a medical doctor as well as he was a minister of the gospel. He was a pastor by the, by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says something very profound in regards to this passage in Psalm 42 and 43. And this is what he says, and he notices. He says that the main problem in the whole matter of what is happening in this world, he sees in Psalm 42, he says, what's happening is that there's actual spiritual depression. And in a sense, is this, is, is that he says that in the psalm in itself, it addresses the problem, but also we find the cure within the problem itself. It says, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. That most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking 
to ourselves. And so what we see in Psalm 42 and 43 is a sense of the psalmist's understanding that as, it asks, as he asks this question to himself, why are you so depressed? Why are you so downcast? And he's speaking to his own soul that there's something very vital and important that many times that we don't really focus or we miss is having an understanding of what it means to care for our own souls and recognizing that there is a problem and therefore, why do we have this problem that's going around, in a sense, this kind of epidemic that we're seeing? Is that many times the world speaks to us, or even what we speak to ourselves, that it's a passive way in which we allow the things of this world to affect us in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions. And spiritually, it affects us that we experience this spiritual depression. But yet what we see is the cure that the psalmist then realized is to be able to then talk and to speak to your own soul. And this is just quickly what I just want to ask before then we uh, move on is to do this. So can we in a sense do what the psalmist does? Can we shout out and say your own name? So let's do that together. I want everybody to shout out, to speak to yourself. Let's do this together, to say your own name. Tony, Stop being depressed. Put your hope in God. So I believe that when we begin to speak to ourselves with the word of God, that we find healing. And then when we find healing, then we are able to help others find healing and in our communities, and that's what we hope this morning. And so one last thing, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and then now as we first speak to ourselves, to be able to speak to one another and say, stop being depressed. Put your hope in God. All right, and so this is what is a big part of what we'll be learning and hearing this morning is how to really care for not just our own souls, but one another, and to bring healing and hope into our community. And so let's take a look at the screen and watch this video. It's interesting, walking into Healing Grove, it's, you almost don't know what you're walking into. Like you know, and you see all the medical supplies and the offices and everything, okay, this is like a, a medical center. At the same time, there's so much relationship and family feel, and it's like walking into a church. And so it's like, okay, is this a church? Is it a, a med center? And kind of the answer is yes, uh, right? It's, it's, it's like uh, you're cared for holistically. Dr. Angie is awesome. You can tell she just really cares um, and she's not rushing you through like, okay, okay, I got another person, you know, you're not sitting there waiting, you know, for an hour and then she slips in for a minute and runs back out. She really takes her time and then, and she even, you know, just asks spiritual questions along with the physical ones as you're checking out your symptoms and whatever else. She's also just wanting to know where your walk with the Lord is. So super comfortable. I feel like this is one of those ministries I would just support regardless, not to get something back, but it's kind of weird because in supporting them, like 
If I give 200 a month, I am giving healthcare to two people in this neighborhood. And I personally also get the doctor's cell phone and have 30 to 60 minute appointments whenever uh, I get to be cared for and not have to run through a lot of the hassle that I normally have to go through just to get an appointment with someone. Healing Grove is located in downtown San Jose. Uh, there's always a ton of parking. I like that too. Welcome to New Wave Live. Today we are joined by Brett and Sandy from Healing Grove. Um, if at any time you guys want to have a question that you guys want to ask, we do have a QR code that you guys can ask a question. We would love for you guys to engage with us. So Brett and Sandy, I love uh, just the mission statement that you guys have at Healing Grove. I'm gonna share it right now for those that are not familiar with your ministry. But your mission statement is, we share the love of Jesus through healthcare, soul care, and culture care to bring the healing of the nations to our community. I think that is so special, but I would love to hear from your own words what Healing Grove is about and what you guys do. Yeah, thanks Francis. Um, was it okay if I share a story? Absolutely. I think it's, it's easiest to answer that question in the, in the context of story. So uh, in 2018, a Honduran pastor came to my wife. So my wife is Dr. Angie, who you saw in the video there. So she's a family physician. And at the time, she was serving in a clinic, seeing um, undocumented Spanish-speaking patients. And I was a pastor, and we were kind of doing fine. And so this uh, Honduran pastor came to us and said, well, the Lord has a new plan for your life. Um, which is always a little uncomfortable. <laughs> and so he said, God's calling you to start this, this new clinic, and it's going to be called Ojas de Sanidad, the, the Leaves of Healing or Healing Grove. And so, you know, we both come from healthcare families. Uh, I, I was an electrical, had, before I was a pastor, I was an electrical engineer doing uh, biomedical engineering. And so I thought, okay, well, I, I kind of know what it's like to go to the doctor. I didn't know what clinics are, are like. So about the same time, um, I got a sabbatical. And uh, as I was getting, preparing to, to go on my sabbatical, God just said, hey, you know, over these eight weeks, I want you just to read the whole Bible. So I've done a lot of Bible study where you, like, specifically study a passage over a period of time. But God's like, just read the whole thing. And, man, that, like, totally changed my life. In fact, uh, for part of my sabbatical, my daughter, Martha, and my grandbaby, Chelsea, are here. Wait for him, Martha. So Martha is a South Sudanese refugee, and she grew up in a refugee camp in northern Uganda. And so Martha actually took uh, my wife and my son and I and her daughter, Chelsea, back to the refugee camp. So I was sitting in a refugee camp next to a mud hut underneath a mango tree, reading the Bible like four or six or eight hours a day. And uh, I just started to notice all the healings in the Bible. And, you know, I, I can't say how much it changed me to look at the way Jesus healed, and then to look at the way we think about modern healing. So I just wanted to share, can I share one of the passages that like really got a hold of me? Please, yes. Okay, so turn to Luke chapter 5 in your Bibles, or I guess it's 2022 in your phones. So Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 12. Um, so while I was reading the Bible, I just started outlining, this is the Bible I was reading in, you know, every time there was a healing, and it's just incredible how much healing Jesus did. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's amazing when you stop and read it. And so, uh, as you read this, I want you to notice a couple things. 
I want you to notice the type of person that Jesus was healing. And then specifically, I want you to look and notice um, the first thing that Jesus did in each of these healings. What's the first thing that Jesus did? Okay? So starting in verse 12, Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he fell to his face with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself um, in the, uh, to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news spread about him all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began uh, to thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everybody was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who, began, who belonged to their sect complained to, to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So I just saw the same pattern over and over again when I read the Bible. So did you notice what, what is the first thing that Jesus did? Let's take the leper. What, what's the first thing that Jesus did when he came up to the leper? What's that? I think I heard it. What's the first thing he did? Somebody call it out. He reached out his hand. And what did he do when he reached out his hand? He touched him. Okay. I went to Africa 15 years ago on a mission trip, and I actually went to a leper colony. It, it, it costs about $150 to treat leprosy, and yet there are hundreds of thousands of lepers. And obviously, once the damage is done, you, you can't do it. It is a really terrible disease. I want you to stop and think. If you saw a leper on the street, and you had the power of Jesus to heal, what would be the first thing you would do? Somebody with a contagious, ugly, you know, like your skin is literally rotting. In that time... They would be covered in maggots, right? What would be your first move? I would speak the word. You know what would be smart? It, it would be smart to heal the guy first and then give him a big hug, right? And yet, what does Jesus do? It's a very specific point. Jesus touches the guy first and then heals him. So why? I mean, like, in my mind, that's kind of stupid, right? Right? That's dangerous. It's not safe. It's not sanitary. 
You know, why did he do that? What do you think? What do you think, Francis? Why did he do it? I'm putting Francis on the spot. She's like, oh my gosh, this guy. Oh my. <laughs> I think he just wanted to show love and compassion that I'm not scared of you and I want to love you no matter what. I think you're exactly right. You know, it's interesting to ask, what was this guy's deepest need? And my guess is that he probably hadn't been touched in a decade. His deepest need was to be touched. And so Jesus made a point of touching him, not after he got healed, but in his state of disease, right? In that case, Jesus is giving him the dignity of being touched. He's restoring this man to proper dignity by saying, I'm going to touch you before I heal you, right? And then after he heals him, he sends him to the priest so that this man can be set into proper uh, relationship with, with society, so Jesus doesn't walk up and see a disease, right? Or a physical disease, at least. What Jesus walks up and sees loneliness, and he heals that. Okay, and then in the second, uh, the second vignette, what's the first thing Jesus does? Some guy, like, this is crazy, like, like pu- punches a hole in the roof, drops through the roof. There's a room full of Pharisees and teachers of the law, right? The guy drops in, he's a paralytic, and what's the first thing Jesus does? Somebody called out. Okay, he says your sins are forgiven. Now, let me ask you, if you are a paralytic and you just drop through the roof of a house and you're sitting there next to the most powerful person in the world, what are you hoping for? You're hoping to get healed, right? And then Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. And I can just imagine that guy going like, are you serious? Like, I dug through this, this roof to get my sins forgiven? You know, like this, like I got cheated. The other guy... The other guy got healed. What about me? Um, So what is the specific reason that Jesus gives for healing this guy? It's pretty interesting. So listen to this. Um, uh, Where where, where is it? I lost it. Uh, He says, says, uh, "I, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So get up and walk. So the reason he healed this guy wasn't to eliminate disease. The reason he healed this guy was to prove that he could forgive his sins. So what was the more important thing to Jesus? The forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the interesting thing. What sin did this guy commit? It's kind of interesting, right? Because we don't know. It's not like the woman caught in adultery or something else. We don't know what the sin was. Um, I have a feeling that everybody in that room thought that that man and or his parents were sinners, and that was why he had become a paralytic, right? So he was ostracized. His family was ostracized. They committed some kind of sin. And so the first thing Jesus does is he addresses the fact, here we're sitting in in a room full of wealthy leaders, right, who are looking down on this guy because he's a sinner, he's a paralytic, and the first thing Jesus does is he heals this man's sins. You see what he's doing? He's restoring that man to proper dignity. Not just healing a disease, but just restoring him to proper dignity. And then what's interesting is in the third vignette, so in the first two vignettes, right, we have Jesus healing two poor people who were ostracized, right? In the third one, Levi's not poor, right? He's a wealthy tax collector. He's ostracized because he's like kind of like the the IRS, you know? Nobody likes tax collectors. Um, And here, Jesus restores Levi to proper position in society by going to his house to eat dinner. 
And so in this vignette, we have two poor people that got restored to proper uh, um, uh, dignity and one wealthy person that gets restored to proper dignity. And so as I read that, I thought, man, I want to heal like Jesus. And when I look at what we do in healthcare, I mean, we do some great stuff in healthcare, but it just doesn't look like this. And it doesn't have the kind of outcomes that these, these, these have. And I thought, man, I want to be able to do that. I love that. I think that's so powerful. Um, and that speaks to uh, one of your models, which is true healing, not healthcare. So maybe you could share a little bit more about how you use Luke 5 to be able to touch the community through Healing Grove. Yeah, so um, I think uh, in modern society, we, we see a problem and we want to superficially solve it, right? If somebody comes in with an ailment, we just fix the ailment, go away, and be on your way. What Jesus did is he saw what's underneath. And he did, in the end, heal these people, right? He didn't just say, your sins are forgiven, and that's it. He said, your sins are forgiven, and so that you know that I have authority to do that, get up and walk. Um, And so that's what we want to do every day at Healing Grove. Now, uh, we have this really interesting model. So we sell concierge health care. It's $200 a month. And then every paying member funds two low-income uninsured people to be able to access the clinic. And that's really based on this passage, right? Jesus healed two poor people and one wealthy person. And so our model is for every two uh, poor people that we serve at Healing Grove, we have one uh, wealthy or one person with means that's able to contribute to cover, cover those two people, which I think is a really beautiful uh, model. And we do healthcare, soul care, and culture care, right? Healthcare means, yeah, we are going to heal the disease. Soul care means we're going to look at what's going on in the person's soul. Like, do you need to be touched? Do you need to have your sins forgiven? What's the deeper thing that, happened, that needs to happen? And then we look at, at culture care. The cool thing is there's only one entrance to the clinic. So whether you are a concierge uh, patient or one who is receiving, um, you know, through donations and the concierge membership, they all come in to the same welcome room. It's not a typical hospital lobby. It's a welcome room because they're met with the clinical administrator, but also a pastor who's there because so much of the pa- so many of the patients who come, they actually don't have physical. Um, ailments. It's just a deeper part of their soul that needs healing that they can only say, I have a headache or I feel like I have this. So right when you enter the the welcome room, the pastor often just prays, listens to them, and often the healing is already done. And Dr. Angie or the doctor who is there can see beyond uh, what they think is a symptom and say there's soul issues that's going on, there's spiritual issues that are going on, or you're just lonely, you need a community, you need friends. And so just the team at Healing Grove, there are physical doctors, but there's pastors on site, there's a clinical counselor on site, there's an employment trainer on site, um, there's just this whole community that comes around to bring wholeness and healing to one person. So that's really beyond healthcare. It's really the healing of the whole person. Yeah. I love to backtrack just a bit. And if you can share with us, uh, who is the community that you serve? Uh, who is that audience? Yeah. So uh, 15 years ago, Dr. Nanji and I moved into the downtown San Jose, Washington community. It's the poorest census block in Silicon Valley out of the 531 census blocks in Santa Clara and San Mateo County. It's in the, the bottom five poorest. Um, so our average patient makes about $28,000 a year and pays about $18,000 a year in rent. 
So these are families that are really living close to the edge, really, you know, really living in, in poverty. Uh, most of our low-income patients are Spanish-speaking uh, immigrants. And so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, all of our adults are, are uninsured, so they don't get access to, to health care. They can't go to the doctor. Um, so just a quick story. Uh, there's a, a, a couple in our neighborhood. They've been a part of our leadership program, which is called Madre Madre, uh, Mother to Mother, for more than 10 years. Uh, the husband's this great guy, good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Great kids. Our kids have grown up in our kids club and different programs. So he got a hip injury that got progressively worse. He wasn't able to get any treatment, and it got worse and worse. And eventually he was, he was basically, you know, he was, he was paralyzed. Like he couldn't, he couldn't walk. And so he lost his job. And then at the same time, COVID hit. And they were just launched into just absolute abject poverty. And I remember, um, you know, Socorro just coming into the clinic, his, his wife, and just weeping, you know. And so uh, Dr. Angie was trying to get him a hip surgery, and no orthopedic surgeon will take an uninsured person. And so the, the county just refused to do it. They basically just said, like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. And so Angie just started calling this orthopedic surgeon at the county, and she just started calling him every day. You know, this is the way she works. She's like, can we do a surgery? And he's like, no. And then she called him again. And she just kept calling. And literally, for, this happened for like two years. She probably called this guy 50 times over two years. And finally, the guy's like, you know what? If I do the surgery, will you leave me alone? <laughs> and she's like, yes. <laughs> the persistent widow. And so uh, we got the guy the surgery, right? And so you just feel like, wow, once he gets his hip surgery, he can just go back, get a job, and everything will be okay. But it's not that simple, right? Because there's something deeper. And so I just want to share, if it's okay, I just want to share uh, a, a little bit from Socorro talking about what it's like to receive healing at, at Healing Grove. También la pandemia como familia nos afectó muchísimo porque mi esposo se quedó sin trabajo y nosotros debíamos mucho de renta y de luz. Nosotros habíamos decidido regresarnos a México, pero estábamos en espera de una cirugía de mi esposo y eso fue lo que nos detuvo aquí. Después vino una cirugía de mi esposo. En agosto a él le hicieron su cirugía de cadera. Entonces ya no nos podemos regresar. En septiembre él se puso muy grave. Yo la única persona que pude acudir fue la doctora Ángela. Yo le hablé y le dije que mi esposo se me había caído en el baño y que no no reaccionaba y que estaba muy mal. Ella fue a mi casa, allí me le hizo unos análisis y todo, y en la tarde me, me habla y me dice, ¿sabes qué? Tu esposo no tiene ese término. Tiene una anemia muy fuerte, ya arreglé todo para que en el ocorno te lo reciban ahorita. Tienes que hablar una ambulancia y llevártelo. Mi esposo tuvo cuatro días en terapia intensiva. Yo estoy muy agradecida con Dios y con la doctora Ángela y con todos aquí de la clínica que a mí me han tendido mucho la mano con mi esposo. Ahorita le está en recuperación, La doctora me mandó una terapeuta que le hiciera sus terapias en mi casa. Nosotros no tenemos dinero, no tenemos seguro médico. Entonces para mí era muy difícil. Después este, apliqué para la renta y la primera vez no califiqué porque a mi esposo ya le habían ayudado una vez. Ya después volví a calificar y aquí con Brett yo califiqué para la renta. Ellos me ayudaron a pagar la renta porque ya el dueño a mí me quería desalojar porque ya estaba debiendo mucho dinero. Ellos me ayudaron con la renta y gracias a Dios y a ellos nosotros podemos salir adelante. Después aquí Brent nos, nos dio un trabajo en una iglesia y eso me ayudó a mí a salir con todos mis pagos. 
mis hijos están, desde cuando yo empecé a trabajar, yo empecé a pagar sus escuelas de ellos. Ahora, gracias a Dios y a ellos, sigo trabajando en esa iglesia. Y, y para mí todo esto ha sido muy difícil, porque mi esposo todavía no puede trabajar. Y con lo que yo gano, apenas podemos salir. Sorry. Yo lo único que pido es que Dios les dé muchas fuerzas a ellos para que nos sigan apoyando, nos dan comida. Quiero invitar a todas las personas que, que ayuden, que Dios les mueva su corazón y que ayuden a tantas personas que hay como yo, que necesitamos mucha ayuda en esta comunidad. Les pido, les pido mucho su cooperación y que Dios las bendiga y, y les dé mucho más. Yo les agradezco antemano de parte de toda mi familia por todo lo que hacen por nosotros pero también como yo hay mucha familia que ocupa de todos ustedes muchas gracias y que Dios los bendiga I have two quick stories about Jose who's the husband of Socorro uh, I met him about a year ago at Healing Grove um, he's a new man I have not known him before but he walks with a little limp but he is so full of joy He comes to the clinic every Wednesday and cooks for the entire staff, the women's group, as well as uh, the community. Uh, but a couple of months ago, there was a team of us at Healing Grove that drove up to Sacramento because we are launching a new Healing Grove in Sacramento to serve the Afghan refugees that are coming into the city. And Jose was on the bus with us. And we broke up into little groups to pray for some of these locations that the Afghans are settling into. And I said, Jose, pray. And at first he said, I don't know how to pray. He has a Catholic background. And we went to another site and I said, you need to pray. You came all the way here. We're praying for the future Afghans coming. And he just kept saying, I don't know how to pray. And I said, you just speak to God whatever's on your heart. And he prayed the most amazing prayer. And afterwards he's like, that's the first time in my life I've ever prayed. And I just said, you just talk to Jesus as with whatever is on your heart. And it was such a sincere prayer for the Afghans. And it came from such a heart of gratitude for all that he's received through Healing Grove. And um, I have to say, through it's a journey. He's going through another hip replacement surgery soon. But just the little that he's received, he's able to give it out in double portion. And that's just the work of God. Uh, not just to bring physical healing, but there is a restoration of his self-esteem and his dignity, and that he knows he has something else to he has something to give to another community. So, it's just a beautiful story that's still in progress. You know, and and uh, their daughter is a leader in our youth group. Most clinics don't have a youth group, but at Healing Grove, we have a youth group, we have a men's group, we have a women's group, we have an employment program, we have. Um, uh, we serve the homeless. Yeah, we have a homelessness outreach program. And you know what's interesting about our homelessness outreach program? Um, almost everybody, we, we, we cook a meal and sit down and eat with homeless people in a homeless camp. And almost everybody doing that are themselves living in poverty. Very poor Spanish-speaking um, Latinos. And uh, they love it every week going out because they know what it feels like to be poor. You know, and it's such a beautiful thing to see, you know, uh, kind of the the poorest of the house poor serving the unhoused poor. You know? 
I was just going to say that that's so amazing, just the stories you guys have shared, how you guys have poured into their lives, and in turn, they're able to pour into other people's lives, whether it's at the center or in the community that they're part of. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, and I think that goes into what is so unique about what you guys do um, is that, yes, you guys are healthcare, but you keep, both of you guys have mentioned the aspect of going deeper, right? There's often other things that are happening in their lives. Um, and that goes into the other two facets of what you guys do, which is soul care um, and culture care. And I love that, you know, you guys mentioned that when people come, you know, they are greeted by pastors um, that pray for them. Can you speak more about how you guys are able to reach the community via soul care? And how you guys do that? Well, if I think if you look, you know, modern medicine is starting to catch up with the Bible, um, which Bible kind of preceded it. But you look at like social determinants of health, you look at adverse childhood experiences, like the kind of cutting edge research in, in medical literature right now is showing that one of the core reasons that we have chronic health problems is because of unforgiveness, right? And what's the first thing that Jesus did when the paralytic drops through? Your sins are forgiving right? So uh, both for our, you know, our concierge paying patients and our low-income patients, the question that we're constantly asking is, do you need to forgive somebody? Or do you need to be forgiven, right? And man, that is so transformative when you're able to think that way. And, you know, our doctors pray and prescribe. And sometimes you do have a physical ailment and you do need like medication or an intervention for that physical ailment. But sometimes what you really need is prayer. You need to come to the throne and ask God, like, what's going on, right? And address that, that soul thing. Yeah, we have so many programs. I was just going to say, go to our website. And there's just so many um, categories of people groups, age. Um, we, I think we really reach every sector of the community there. Um, but, yeah, we, when we talk about soul care and culture care, right now, especially with the pandemic, People are walking and living in loneliness. And um, we have so many small groups of support groups uh, for the community to come by anytime. It could be our men's group. It could be our mother's group, women's group, youth group. We have a sports camp for kids. Uh, we have even a majority of the community um, are Mexican Catholic, Catholic by tradition. And it's so much part of their identity. Uh, and so we have this whole effort right now to reach the Catholics to true Catholicism, which really is to Jesus himself. Um, and so there just so many facets of really uh, walking people ultimately to Jesus, our true healer. But a lot of what we do for the soul care and culture care is to meet just their places of loneliness, um, and really uh, offer them the healing and the community uh, as Christ followers. Yeah, that's a great point on culture care. You know, when you're serving in a low-income Latin American context, the vast majority of people are Catholic. Now, I'm not. Sandy's not. We're both Protestant pastors. And so there's a temptation to come in and say, hey, we want to just convert you to be like us, right? And that's not culture care. You know, and Jesus called us to be one. Jesus called us to unity. Jesus in John chapter 17 said that you'll know us by our unity. And Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we actually found a Catholic priest who's leading a revival movement in our community. And here's what's crazy. So, you know, Healing Grove is primarily funded by, uh, you know, Protestant evangelical uh, donors, okay? We are leading an effort to convert Catholics to Catholicism, 
right? Led by a Protestant, uh, or led by a uh, Catholic priest. And, you know, myself, I have made a commitment to, uh, uh, to submit to a Catholic priest. And a Catholic priest has made a commitment to empower me, a Protestant pastor, as a leader over this Catholic movement, okay? I mean, where does that happen? It's incredible. And I'll tell you, it is the hardest thing in the world. We have so much Protestant-Catholic conflict. It is really hard. But man, we've seen like, you know, like 20 Catholics have come to Christ just in the past couple months um, and, and, you know, accepted the message of salvation. It's, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. And that's culture care, right? Caring for people in their culture. Now, uh, you know, I might be one of the only white people in the room right now. This is, a, this is an Asian place, right? And, oh, I got my son right here, Nehemiah. Um, so, so, you know, you and I are from a different culture, right? Sandy and I are from a different culture. And I think sometimes, like, we get into kind of a mess where, like, you know, uh, white people want to give, make everybody follow our culture, and Asians want to make everybody follow their, you know. And uh, that's not the Jesus way, right? Our goal is that every nation, language, tribe, and people would be gathered together dressed in white, shoulder to shoulder, praising the throne, right? And that means that I'm going to praise the throne in English, and Sandy's going to praise the throne in Korean, and my daughter Martha is going to praise the throne in New Air. and we are all going to be hearing in tongues as each other prays, right? And man, it is awesome when you get to do that, you know, and it's hard, right? It's really hard, but it's beautiful, yeah, no, I like that. I love that you guys recognize that, you know, there's not just one way of caring for people. Uh, it's not just healthcare, but it's also like so many other things in terms of touching people's soul and then caring for them right where they're at, whether it's culturally or just what their needs are. Um, I just want to remind everyone, if you have any questions, you can definitely ask a question via our QR code. But we have a question that came through, um, and I want to ask how your work would intersect with therapy work or therapy sessions, uh, services that uh, you know society has often because therapy is really uh, expensive. So how do you make it accessible to those um, that are part of low income? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So we have a pastoral counselor who's a bilingual uh, Spanish-speaking guy who uses you know both the Holy Spirit and kind of like modern. Um, uh, counseling techniques. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's available both for people that, that are paying concierge patients and our low-income patients. Um, and so, you know, our concierge patients, every paying patient is, is supporting two low-income uninsured people to be able to access the clinic. So as a concierge patient, you're actually providing that, you know, healthcare, soul care, and culture care uh, to two other people. So maybe, actually, I don't know, you, you, you guys have a, a Healing Grove member here as a part of your congregation. Yes, I, I learned that this week, and that's amazing, actually. So maybe I can just invite up Andrew Hong. Andrew, come on up. So I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Andrew uh, through the prior church that he was a part of, Grace uh, Covenant Church in Los Altos. And man, this, this is a man of God here. Um, oh, don't shake your head at me. <laughs> this is a man of God. And so I just invite him up to, to share his experience about being a part of Healing Grove. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Um, so my name is Andrew. I joined New Wave last year uh, in December. And I learned about Healing Grove uh, through my previous church. Um, actually, the first time I heard about Healing Grove actually is through my work, through my boss. Uh, during pandemic, when I first started it, it's really hard to access 
COVID uh, testing and Healing Grove was one of the places we reached out. So my pre previous church really wanted to support local um, ministries that reaching out to local Hispanic uh, community and Healing Grove was one of that really in the center of the community. And as I um, volunteer and partner, I learned about Healing Grove and learned about Brett. And one of the things I remember is during uh, Brett's birthday, the whole community come around and just celebrate for him. <laughs> and, you know, quickly also learn about, for my buddy uh, uh, Oscar, that you guys are doing uh, a lot of refugee work, and he is trying to connect the local church, with uh, partner with you guys. But personally, I'm, I'm also received a lot of help from Healing Growth. So last year, I was actually diagnosed with um, depression and anxiety disorder, and it was just really hard. And so um, Brad reached out to me and asked me to uh, meet with uh, Dr. Angie and um, another counselor. His name is Daniel. And I received this holistic healing, right? So it's not just the modern medicine or uh, Christian counseling, but for me, uh, the deepest thing was that to surrender, surrender control to God. And through that, I was really received this holistic healing. So I want to say thank you and, you know, uh, for bringing this holistic healing, not just to the community, um, but also to me. Thank you. Well, and I'll tell you what, we're, we're lucky to have Andrew on our team. He's just such a great guy. I'm really, really thankful for him. Yes, thank you, Andrew, for sharing your story with us today. Um, how do you guys determine who qualifies for uninsured care? Because I know that that's uh, part of what you guys do. Yeah, so uh, one interesting thing about the way Jesus healed is, you know, there, he didn't make like the hospital of Jesus, right, where people come to him. He, did you notice where he was in each of those healings? He was out in the community, right? He also, you know, have you ever thought about this? There's never a single story in the New Testament of somebody inviting somebody to church. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And, and Jesus went to church because in Luke chapter four, it said he went to the synagogue as was his custom every Saturday he went. And then he opens up the scroll and he says, my mission on earth is to proclaim good news to the poor. But his method of proclaiming good news to the poor wasn't asking the poor to come to him. He went to the poor. He went out to where the poor were. So we are a, uh, what's called a place-based, asset-based ministry, which means we're, we're located in, the, like I said, the poorest community in Silicon Valley. And so uh, uh, we uh, uh, only serve the people that live in our community. So uh, you know, right now we have about 500 low-income patients, and we're really working on building that up so that we can serve more. There's probably about another 1,000 people in uninsured families that we that we need to reach in the 10 block radius of of our clinic it's called the guadalupe washington community yeah we're just downtown so we're just like a couple blocks south of the of the tall buildings if you know where like the adobe building is down downtown um you know it's kind of wild the poorest community in silicon valley is just a few blocks away from the world headquarters of both zoom and adobe um so uh uh you know uh, families have to be, they have to qualify as low income and have an uninsured person in the family in order to qualify. When we take a person, we take the whole family. We don't do, we don't do individuals. And really our goal is to take the whole community, right? I'd like to get to the point where we're covering every single uninsured family in our whole community. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you're absolutely right. We live in Silicon Valley, a land of abundance, but 
at the same time, you know, there are families that are struggling um, all around us. So it's great to recognize that. Um, yeah, there's, Francis, there's 60,000 extremely low-income families in Santa Clara County. 200,000 people living in poverty. 13,000 homeless people. Incredible. And I think, you know, it's, it's great what you were saying that it's, you know, part of Jesus's mandate is to go out. Um, and you guys are doing that in the communities here. Um, from your experience, because you guys are very well versed in serving the community, what have you guys seen to be the biggest needs of the community today? You know, I think it's easy. You look at a poor community like ours, we have gang violence, we have a lot of poverty, there's hunger, um, prostitution, a uh, lot of hopelessness. It's easy to look and say, oh man, that's, that's kind of messed up, right? There's a lot of problems there. Um, it's interesting actually living in the community, I have a different perspective because what I see is I see that there's a lot of leaders there and a lot of potential. Um, uh, Every single person in my community is made in the image of God, whether they're rich or they're poor. And uh, I don't actually have to give them dignity. They already have it. What I need to do is recognize the dignity that they have from God. If you talk to poor people um, anywhere in the world, they will consistently tell you that being hungry is not the worst part. Being sick is not the worst part. Uh, not having enough is not the worst part. The worst part is the shame of being poor. The shame of being poor. And so... The biggest need is to feel the dignity that you have worth and value. And that's why it's so important that we gave Socorro a job. That's why it's so important that after we got the hip surgery for Jose, that we gave him a job and helped, and then, and then gave him an opportunity to also serve, right? So, um, you know, I think every human being needs that opportunity to give and to receive, yeah, I was just going to say that I think that's something that it's not just, you know, the, the low-income people that need it. It's just people like you and I, we all need to feel dignity. We all need to feel worth and value. And I think that's so valuable and what just, you know, humankind needs. Um, I think that so many people, especially nowadays, you know, they want to be able to make a difference and make an impact in their communities. How do you suggest somebody go about doing that? Well... I think of that, that in two categories, time and money. If you want to know what your real priorities are, open your calendar and open your wallet. And that says what your true priorities are. You can say anything you want, but you just look at those two. And so I, my challenge to everyone is, uh, do you have more time or do you have more money? And give with radical generosity of one or both of those. So I want to share a quick story. You know, when we started Healing Grove, Angie and I both quit stable jobs. We, we were broke. You know, we don't have like a big wealthy family. It wasn't, you know, we had to just, God had to provide. And so we didn't get paid for almost a year. And it was really scary. It was terrifying. And I was just watching my bank account balance. I was getting bills at Healing Grove. I couldn't pay. You know, I had a kid in college and it was, it was terrifying. Um, you know, we have four adopted kids and one bio kid and a grandbaby. And it, it was really scary. Um, and so, you know, obviously we stopped tithing because if you're not, you don't have any income, you don't really have to tithe. And then uh, God provided and came through. It was like totally miraculous. I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, God, like in, in our, like, like right when we were, I, I was, I, you know, I'm an engineer. I was tracking the trajectory and I was like freaking out. Like we were like right, right on the way to zero. The slope was not good. And then God, God came through, right? And we made it. And then we started getting paid and it was awesome. And what's interesting is, I didn't start tithing. 
And after probably like four or five months of getting paid, my wife looked at me and said, how much are we tithing? And I was like, oh. You know, and I started to think, am I the rich young ruler or am I Zacchaeus? The rich young ruler's response to Jesus' request for generosity was to walk away from Jesus, to walk away from salvation. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus was to give half of everything he had and then pay back everybody he had cheated four times, right? And I realized, wow, I'm more like the rich young ruler. And what's crazy is God had proven to me that he was generous, that he would take care of me, and yet I sat down to write that tithe check, and I didn't want to let go of it because I was, I was afraid, well, what, what if, right? What if this happens again? What if I don't get paid again? What if I don't have enough savings? And man, I had to like, I had a kind of pretty serious come to Jesus moment. In that moment, I was giving a lot of my time, but I was not giving my money. And I had to confront that sin. And ultimately, that sin was a sin of faithlessness, even though God had proven to me that he was faithful, you know? And so, you know, my challenge is give of your time, give of your money. I think everybody needs to give of both, but there's probably one that you have more than the other, you know? If you have time, be committed to proclaiming good news to the poor several hours a week on a weekly basis. If you have money, you know, start tithing at 10%, but try to work up to 20 or 30%. And the beautiful thing is, and this comes back to, I, you know, I think, I think PT nailed it on the head, right? We spend too much time uh, listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. When you get out in the community and you proclaim good news to the poor, man, that is the most effective thing you can do for your mental health. Um, do you want to? I think for an Asian church like this, uh, my, past, my husband is a pastor of a church that looks like this makeup. Um, it might be hard from where you are at, many of you may be just working in the tech industry, to go and all of a sudden serve the low-income people. It, it is a big jump. Um, I want to have you leave with something very tangible to practice. Um, ultimately, we want you to be tithing and giving, even tithing your time. Think about tithing your time um, to serve the Lord. But just think about where God has placed you now. It could be your workplace. It could be in your neighborhood. Every neighborhood has the poor part of your neighborhood. I dare you just to drive through that part of your city and just ask God, how do you see these people and what are you doing among these people and, and what is my part in it? It doesn't necessarily have to be the Healing Grove community, but go to the exact neighborhood you're at and search for those who are lower income than you. Uh, but I just want you to think about the people that you're closest to that you see every day. Can you make a crossing over of someone who's completely different from you where you will have to have uncomfortable conversations? It could be someone who's different ethnically from you, someone who's different socioeconomically from you, or even someone who doesn't practice the same faith as you. Um, it puts all of us in a very vulnerable place to have these conversations with someone who's so different. And the goal is not so much, let me show you Jesus, the Jesus that I worship, because I want you to come to Christ, but it's this attitude of, tell me your story. And when I came to Healing Grove uh, on staff a year ago, um, it was scary because I came to Healing Grove often as a volunteer. And that first week I drove into Healing Grove, I thought, oh my goodness, 
This is the community that I need to come into every single day. Is my car going to be safe? He doesn't let us park in the parking lot. We need to, every day I'm like driving around the blocks to find an open spot. And um, the first, you know, a couple of months I was there, every person I met, I just, I speak Spanish. So I was able to ask, you know, what is your story? How did you come to San Jose? And what I thought through our political lens, um, and even through how we see the so-called undocumented, uh, we label them in a certain category of people, but God totally reversed their narrative for me. And just, it was that simple question of, tell me your story. And they all came to the States because they had to flee from something. And uh, God just totally transformed my mindset and my attitude that I come to Healing Grove to offer something. I think I've received more than what I actually have been giving out. And it's that posture of humility, that posture of learning. And when you ask them, anyone that question, it really restores the dignity of that person saying, your story matters, and I want to learn from you. And so I just want to leave that as a little thing that you, all of us can practice. And hopefully, as you inch your way closer to going to more uncomfortable conversations and relationships, that you can even visit a place like the Washington community and make it just an easy conversation to talk to people who are completely different from you. Um, so I, if I can just leave that kind of challenge for you. And then I want to add to Sandy's with three things. Number one, uh, you guys go to an amazing church. I, so I just talked with Sam Lowe. He's the head of the River of Life uh, Foundation. He's flying to Africa on Wednesday uh, to work with the more than 200 churches that you've planted in 15 countries. Right here, you have the, the River of Life, uh, the, the foundation. What, what, do you, what do you call your warehouse? Our warehouse? The warehouse. It's, you have the warehouse. Yeah, it's called Phase 2. <laughs> it's called Phase 2. Okay, whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called, but it's serving poor people right here with a lot of food and a lot of physical needs. And I want to encourage you to think about getting involved there. Be plugged into what your church is doing. Be supporting what your church is doing. I mean, you guys are doing some amazing, miraculous stuff. You don't have to go far. It's right here in this location. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I want to I wanna thank Francis and, and, and your dad for the way that you guys have really been a, uh, such a vital part of our community. Second of all, I'd love to encourage you, if you have time, to come and volunteer at Healing Grove. We have a youth group that needs help. We have a homeless outreach that, that needs help. Uh, we have all kinds of ways that you can come and serve if you're willing to commit time. I'd love to invite you to come and get involved. In fact, Francis said that you guys have artists. We have some blank walls that really need a mural. Um, that could be a match made in heaven, you know? So come out and do some art on our, on our walls and even work along with our community and some of our local community artists to do that. And then third, I want to toss out a challenge. So uh, we, you know, most of our... Uh, support comes from donors like you, Christian donors in, in Silicon Valley. And I really, it really hurts me. We have a, a wait list of hundreds of people who are uninsured that need access to medical care, and we have to turn them away every day. And that just breaks my heart. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like that. And so we can provide health care to one uninsured person for $70 a month. We can provide health care, soul care, and culture care the Jesus way. And so I'd like to toss out a challenge. I'd like to ask it would be awesome if we could support from the New Wave congregation 50 people to receive health care. 
God dropped the number 50 to both of us a couple of days ago while we were preparing for uh, today that there are 50, hopefully in this room, that would be part of giving just $70 a month. That's it. To, to, yeah, to fund a low-income uninsured person with the whole package deal. And if you think about it, giving healthcare for 70 bucks a month in the U.S. is super cheap, right? So you can either give $70 a month, that's a donate, tax-deductible donation, or you can give $200 a month, in which case you can become a concierge patient. Then you can actually come to us as the doctor. We can work with whatever kind of insurance you have. And, uh, you know, you get the personal cell phone of the doctor. You get same-day appointments. You get 30, 60-minute appointments. You get a doctor that's going to both pray with you and prescribe for you. It's a beautiful thing. So if you are interested in that, raise your hand. And we have um, cards that, that we'll hand out. And you, you, you can take one. If you want, you can, there's a phone number on there. If you send me a text message with your name, it'll reply back with a link. So it's uh, healinggrove.org slash newwave, where you can give. Um, so I'd love to invite you to do that. So raise your hand. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. We'll give out some cards. There you go. Andrew's already raising his hand. <laughs> so... Yeah, no, we just so appreciate uh, your friendship and you coming to share with us and also just sharing really practical ways that we can get involved in serving our community, whether it's through our time, through our financial tithing, through volunteering and uh, and helping Healing Grove, or whether we just do it right here um, at our own church via the River of Life Foundation. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know that, you know, we didn't even get to touch on everything that you guys do because you truly do so much for the community. So um, they are going to be sticking around after service. There's a booth in the back so you can learn more about Healing Grove. If you want to get more involved, please do visit with Brett and Sandy. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank, thank you, you so much, Thank Francis. you so much. We'll turn the time back over to PT.